stepping out in faith. Joshua chapter 1, I'd like to read verses 1 to 9 for us. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. And I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified and do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, when I hear those words that you spoke to Joshua, how good they sound. To know that you are a God who is with us. A God who understands that there are times in our life when we may be fearful, discouraged, struggling with what's before us, that unknown or uncertain future. And yet you are there. And you promise that you will never, never, never leave us or forsake us. Father, may we hear those words as an encouragement today and as we think about what it means to find our calling and get our feet wet, to step out of that boat, would you give us the faith we need for the journey ahead? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the summer after second grade, my mom encouraged me to go out for baseball. I love baseball. I would listen to the twins and I'm still doing that. I'm still excited about those twins today even. Uh, and, and so I went out for baseball that summer. And the way that they did it in our town was you would have a practice. And then uh, at the end of that first practice, they'd line everybody up and the captains would pick who was going to be on their team. So here we are. We're on, this, on the field for a practice. And it wasn't the real field. We were sort of on this practice field next to it. And the coaches were doing this drill, and if you were going to play in the outfield, you know, they were teaching you how to get the glove down so the ball wouldn't get under your glove, and then teaching you to actually kind of get down almost on one knee, kneel down, so if you missed the ball with your glove, you'd block it with your body. Well, that was how the drill was supposed to go, and when it came my turn to field this ball, you know, the coach hit it, and I go running to get my glove down on it, and as I kneel down right there in front of me, is a fresh gopher mound. Did I say that this wasn't the regular baseball field? This is just sort of the side field there, and here's this gopher mound, and I go down on one knee, and the ball hits the mound and comes up and catches me right in the eye. 
Well, I spent the rest of the practice in the locker room with an ice bag on my head right here. And when it came time at the end of practice where they lined us all up and they had the four captains there picking people for the team, you know, these captains were older and wiser, probably third graders, and uh, they were, you know, picking everybody who's going to go. I, I was last or nearly last that morning uh, being picked for a team because nobody wanted the kid with the ice bag on his head. I think that was probably more painful than the shiner. Garrison Keeler describes a similar experience in one of his uh, books when he talks about uh, for himself being chosen last for a baseball team. He said it was always the same. The captains would be down to their last grudging choices. They'd pick a slow kid for catcher, and then they'd pick someone to stick out in right field where nobody ever hit it. And then they'd choose the last ones two at a time, kind of like handicaps. Well, if I take him, then you've got to take him, they'd say. Sometimes I'd go as high as sixth. Usually it was lower. But just once, I'd like it if Daryl would pick me first and say, Him! I want him! I want the skinny kid with the glasses and the black shoes. You, come on. But I've never been chosen with much enthusiasm. You know, isn't it good to know that God is not like that? That in His choosing of us, it is not grudgingly, it's not reluctantly or like somebody's twisting him or his arm, and it's not like he's saying, well, if I take him, you've got to take him. But the Bible tells us that he has chosen us in love. He has chosen us with great joy. God has called us to be his children, and he has an assignment for each of us to do. In Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's an amazing thing. I mean, before you were born, God knew you and me, and He had a plan for our life, and He had prepared these things that He wanted us to accomplish in our life. And when the Bible says that we are His workmanship, that word workmanship in Greek connotes a work of art. You are a work of art to God. You and I may not feel like that sometimes. We may feel like our life is pretty messed up or we're struggling with certain issues in our life and wondering how God could love us or use us. And He is saying from His perspective, You are a work of art. And I have made you for a purpose. And I have a job for you to do. So how do we find that out? How do we discover what our calling is? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, looking at this story of Joshua and the Israelites. And I want to talk in particular about God's call to Joshua and what we can learn from it. So let's take a look at this text. One of the things that we see, first of all, in God's call is that God's call to Joshua was very clear. I mean, Joshua knew exactly what it was that God wanted him to do. I want you to lead my people into the promised land. God spoke to Joshua. And I've got to admit, there are times in our life, and I've had people ask me this too, and they go, wouldn't it be really neat, you know, if God just that clearly spoke to us and said, 
This is what I want you to do. Or if He wrote it on the wall so that I could read it and know that I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. We wish for that. And yet there's something we need to notice in the Scriptures. That even in the Old Testament, when God's call was very clear to people, people still felt inadequate when God called them. And you see that, for example, with Moses, when God called him at the burning bush, and Moses was saying, you know, God, I don't speak so good. Isn't there somebody else? I mean, who am I that you should call me? Why not send my brother over there, Aaron, or someone else? Or Joshua starts out in this ministry, and he has been Moses' aide. He's been his right-hand man, but... Moses was the man of God. Moses was the one who went up on the mountaintop and who received the law. And now Moses is dead. And Joshua's like, God, I've never done this before. I've never led a people like this. You can think of Esther. She was the queen in Persia, and yet she had no authority. And God put her in a position where she was called to serve Him. And there was fear fearfulness of what might happen if she stepped forward and took this risk. Or you can think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who thought, who am I that I should be the mother of God's child? Even when people knew what God was calling them to do, they still felt inadequate. And a second thing to notice is that the call involved risk. I mean, every time God called someone to do something, and every time He calls us, there is an element of risk in it. For Joshua and the people of Israel, there were still battles to fight. There would be people who literally would die. And even today, when God calls people to be missionaries around the world, there is risk involved in that call. And there are people who die for their faith, bringing the gospel to those who have never heard. Knowing God's call doesn't mean that it's going to be easy or that you're going to feel competent or that you're going to feel like, hey, I can handle this, this is okay. God's call requires faith and obedience on our part. It is a call to step out and to trust Him. God doesn't tell us all of the details up front. He doesn't tell us everything that's going to happen in our life. Joshua didn't know exactly how those battles were going to go and what was going to happen. All he knew was the assignment he had from God to lead his people into the promised land. They still needed to trust him to do that. And when we look at a calling in Scripture... We also see that a calling is more than just a vocation. It is a call into a new relationship. We are called, first of all, to know God, to experience His love and forgiveness in our life. We're called to be a part of His family. And so there is this relationship that begins with the living God who walks with us and who leads us and guides us. And then we are called to use the gifts and talents, abilities we've been given to serve Him. And we've been talking about that in this series. God expects us to do that. And finally, we each then have our own individual assignments that are from God. A specific calling that relates to our work, our family, our ministry. So how do we discover what our specific calling is? 
How do we know what it is that God wants us to do? Well, it starts with listening. We listen. We listen to God and His Word, to the Holy Spirit's direction. Most of what God wants us to do with our life is right here in this book, in God's Word. When He tells us the way in which we should live, the kind of people He wants us to be, who trust Him and depend upon Him and who live out this life of faith as we walk with God each day. But also we need to listen to our heart as He leads us because one of the ways you discover your calling is by the things that God prompts us to do and the way that He's wired us. We each have certain passions and desires and things that bring us joy. You know, when God was working in my life and calling me into ministry, uh, I remember very clearly when you know I heard this great need that there was for people to know God's Word and to be taught the Word of God. And because of the way I'm wired and having a gift of teaching, when I heard that need, it was like, that's it. That's what God wanted me to do. Whereas if someone has the gift of giving, for example, when they hear about a need that's a financial need or something that someone is lacking or a ministry is lacking, God prompts them. Someone has a gift of serving. They see a need and they can help. That grabs their heart. If somebody has a gift of mercy and they see a person who's hurting or wounded, they want to come alongside and encourage. And so part of the way that we discern our calling is by our giftedness and what really resonates with our heart. What brings you joy when you serve in the body of Christ? Or what are the dreams? What are the things that you think about and you go, I wish we could do this. I wish we could do this. And you see a need, you have an idea, and you want to meet that. We need to listen too to our own life and see how God will use people and places and experiences to shape us. As God leads us and calls us, He will bring those experiences into our life to prepare us for future opportunities and service. And so when you look back, what do you see? How has God led you and What are those experiences that He has given you that are preparing you for the future? And when we have questions, we need to listen to godly counselors, mentors, people who have discipled us, friends who know us well, that will affirm your gifts and your calling. We listen. We listen to what God's doing in our life. We listen for His call. And secondly, we pray. Lots of prayer. And we come before God and we say with humility, Lord, here I am. How do you want to use me? What can I do to serve you? And we pray and we wait for God's leading and His answer. And thirdly, we serve. We start to get involved in ministry. We start to do things. We follow that initial leading and we trust that God's going to direct us as we go along in our service. When I was a student in college and I got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ, there was another man who started to disciple me. And when I met with him, I remember it's a pretty straightforward kind of approach to teaching things, whether it's evangelism or prayer or teaching or Bible study, whatever it was. Basically, he'd say, "Uh, come with me, you just watch. You know, as we're sharing the gospel with another student, he'd say, you just watch me and I'll, I'll take the lead and do this. And then the second stage in it would be, let's do it together. I'll do part, you do part. And then the third stage in it is, you do it and I'll watch you. 
And all along the way, there's feedback being given. And in that process of sharing my faith or leading a Bible study or teaching and being involved in different aspects of ministry, God just really affirmed that some things that I was good at and some things that I'm not as good at. And through that process, God began to direct and open doors for ministry in the future. You see, the way that we discover our calling is by getting our feet wet. It's by wading in and starting to do some things and trusting that God's going to lead and direct as we go along. And I would think if you talk to anyone here who's actively involved in a ministry in the church or if it is their vocation for ministry, they would say the same thing. That it started with doing some tasks in the church and God led and directed and opened doors and God made His calling very clear in my life. But when we go back to Joshua's situation, another thing that we see is that when God calls, He also supplies what we need to do the job. And we see God's encouragement here very clearly. Look at verses 3 to 5. And I'm just going to point out a few things. One of the promises he gave to Joshua in verse 3 was, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Wow. God is saying, everywhere you go in this land, I'm going to be with you and I will give it to you. He tells them in verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you. And again at the end of verse 5, I will be with you. This promise of His presence that I will not leave you nor forsake you. What a tremendous encouragement that must have been to Joshua. Here's this great task. It is going to be difficult. But God is saying, I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to give you every place where you go in this land. And I will be with you. It sounds a lot like the promises that God also gives to us in Christ. I mean, think of what Jesus said to the disciples and to us in the Great Commission when He wanted them to go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28, 18-20. He says to us that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He gives us the promise of His presence at all times. He's here today with us. And He is with us in our individual ministries. In John 15:16, he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and to bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And so here is this blessing from Jesus saying that I've chosen you not just to be a part of my family, but to bear much fruit for the kingdom fruit that's going to last for all of eternity. And if you will walk with me, if you will trust me, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Wow. What a tremendous promise again that that is of God's supply. That those He calls, He also supplies and He gives us what we need to carry on the ministry. He doesn't give us perhaps everything that we may wish for on our wish list but He gives us exactly what we need to carry out His work. And He goes on to say this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, that we have this treasure, this glory, the light of Jesus Christ in us, in jars of clay 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God uses us. Jars of clay, human earthen vessels, weak vessels, fallen. You know, we've got some cracks and chinks in there. And He uses us to show that this all-surpassing power that changes lives is not from us, but it's from God. And then He gets the glory as the light of Christ shines through. We are just cracked pots. Or as Jim Fan said in our staff meeting this week, we are wounded healers. In our staff meetings recently, we've been having our staff share their personal testimony. Because there's a lot that are new on our team, and we're still kind of getting to know each other and building relationships as we go along too. And it has been wonderful to hear these stories of grace again of how God called someone, how He healed them, how He changed lives and transformed them to bring them to a point where they are involved in ministry. And as Jim was listening to a testimony this week and he was thinking about many of you that he's met and had a meal with or talked to and heard your story, he made the observation, he said, you know, there's a lot of wounded healers in this church. There's a lot of people that in their life, if you knew their story, have had some hurts, some difficulties, some challenges, some deep wounds. And by the grace of God, He has transformed their life and used them. And you would not know that today unless you sat down and heard their story. But God's done a marvelous work. And it's why I encourage us in our small groups, tell your story. Share your testimony with other believers. Do that in your ABS from time to time or in your personal encounters as you sit down and meet with one or you have another couple over from church just for a meal and you talk together. Listen to each other's story and be amazed and marvel at the grace of God that changes lives. And I say that too for those of you that are new because again, sometimes when you're new to a church and you come in and you know your life, but you don't know everybody else. And you look around and you think, here are these people with smiles on their faces or people that are singing praise to God. And you think, do I fit in? Will they understand? Or do they understand the kinds of needs that I'm going through? And there are people in our church who have overcome addictions, who have been abused in their life, who have gone through difficult relationships, who have suffered through cancer or illnesses and other diseases, and by the grace of God, He has changed their life. And God can do that for you too. And if you feel like you are a cracked pot or you are wounded, that's just perfect. And God can use you and He can use your story to minister to somebody else if you will let Him change your heart too. And that comes down to the third point of our obedience. Our obedience. Joshua knew the call. He had heard the promises of God. But it still came down to the fact that Joshua needed to obey God and take that first step. And in verses 6 to 9, God addressed that issue when he said to Joshua, I want you to be strong, I want you to be courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. 
Joshua, be strong and very courageous. He repeats it again. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Here's the plan, Joshua. Follow my word. Trust me and I will lead you. Don't think you can do this on your own. Don't kind of go to the right or left or think that you can figure this out on your own. But trust me and walk according to my word and you will be successful. That word success there in the Hebrew means that you will accomplish all that God intends for your life. It's not the way that we sometimes use success in terms of material blessing or wealth or things like that. You know, when people talk about being successful and gaining a lot of fame or fortune. No. What God's talking about here is that you will accomplish the purposes that I have for you. But isn't that what we really want most of all as Christians? I mean, isn't it that we would want to come to the end of our life and know that we had done exactly what God wanted for us? As a husband or wife, as a parent, as a businessman, a teacher, a doctor, whatever our profession is, that we had served God fully to the best of our ability. And we do that by walking according to His Word. God said to Joshua again, Be strong and courageous. God would say to the priests in chapter 3 that I want you to take up the ark and I want you to go and stand in the Jordan River. And as soon as your feet enter into the Jordan River, the waters of the Jordan are going to part. But you've got to get your feet wet first before it happens. And God would say to the people of Israel, when you see the priests standing in the Jordan River, and the waters part, I want you to cross over on dry ground. And everything happened just as God said. Joshua led the people and stepped out in faith. The priests went into the water and the waters parted. In fact, when their feet reached the edge of the Jordan River, the waters began to pile up in a heap is the way the Scripture describes it. In chapter 3, verse 13, As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And the people crossed over on dry land. There comes a point when God makes known to us what it is He wants us to do. He promises His presence. He promises His power and His supply. But we still need to take that first step, don't we? And get our feet wet and step out in faith. We see that in so many places in Scripture. Not just here with Joshua and the priests entering into the Jordan River, but it shows up in stories like Naaman, who was from Aram, a country to the north, who was the commander of the forces of Aram, but he was a leper. And he came to Israel because he had heard about the God who heals. And when he came to Elijah, Elijah said in this word from the Lord, Naaman, you need to go wash in the Jordan River seven times and then you'll be healed. And Naaman didn't like it. He didn't like that command. This muddy little river, you want me to go wash there? And yet at the urging of his servant, he went and was healed. We see it in the story of the widow who lived at Zarephath. 
who had nothing, just a little oil, a little bread, and Elijah comes to her and he says, I want you to make a small cake for me first. And God will supply what you need. And this widow had to take her little bit of oil and little bit of flour and she made a cake and she gave it to Elijah as an offering to God. And the oil did not fail and the flour did not run out. God supplied what she needed. Or you can think of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. How did that feeding begin? With a young boy who brought his lunch to Jesus. Five loaves, two fish. What's that among so many, the disciples said. And yet Jesus took it and multiplied it. And time and time again, we see these examples in Scripture where God asks someone to do something and it's just this small step, small step of faith. And God comes in and He does the rest. So what is that small step of faith that God is asking you to take? What is it that He wants you to do today? If you were in the quietness of your heart to just say, Lord, here I am. How do you want to use me this week? Is it an offering that He wants you to give? To give Him the first fruits of your tithes and your offering and trust God to meet your financial needs? And you say, God, I don't understand all of how you do this, but I'm going to put you first in my giving and I'm going to trust you to meet my needs. Is it a time issue where you feel like, man, my days are just too busy. I don't have time to spend with the Lord in the morning. Can you trust God to take that time in the morning and say, God, I'm going to put you first. And I'm going to trust you to multiply and help me with all the things that I have to go on in that day. Is it a sin issue that you're struggling with? And the very first thing you need to do is to put it behind you and deal with that sin and trust God to give you victory? Is it a step of obedience in an area where He's been asking you to take a risk? Maybe it's to invite your neighbors or a co-worker to come to something like Toby Travis next week or to come to a worship service with us. And you're a little scared to do that because you're not sure how it's going to be received. Can you trust God with that small step of faith that says, God, I will do this and I'm going to trust You. I want to share with you a story that's a, a beautiful story of a woman who stepped out in faith late in life. It's a story of Lois Seacrest. As a 15-year-old girl in 1927, she promised God that she would go overseas as a missionary, perhaps to Africa or India or someplace like that to help the needy. But Lois never made that trip of mercy. She married a young man that she met named Galen, a handsome farmhand, who unfortunately also became an alcoholic. And it really steered her life in a whole other direction. It was only many, many, many years later that Galen came to know Christ in a personal way, and he testified about the peace of Jesus to his drinking buddies, but by then he was almost 80 and nearing death. And when he did die in January of 1988, Lois's childhood desire of becoming a missionary returned. But she was 76 years old. And she just felt like, Lord, I'm too old. 
I mean, that opportunity passed a long time ago. I can't do this now, can I? And yet that desire did not leave. And this great-grandmother determined to fulfill this desire from long ago that God had put in her heart to someday be a missionary. And so Lois packed up her stuff and she went to the Philippines. At age 76, she began to work among the orphans in the Philippines. And by the time she was 87, God had used her to be an unlikely builder of an orphanage in the Philippines that housed 35 children whose lives were rescued from neglect, from abuse, from begging in the streets. The house became known as Lola's house, which means grandmother in their native tongue. Grandma's house. A place of refuge, a place of security, a place of comfort where 35 children would come to know Christ and be cared for. When Lois was asked if it made her nervous that she didn't have a lot of financial resources and she had to depend upon others to provide the support and donations that they needed, she said confidently, I serve a mighty God, and He is in control. And I feel I'm not talented enough to do any of this, but God enables me. My responsibility is to do what I can. At age 76, she was willing to step out in faith. What is it that God is leading you to do? It's time to find your calling and get your feet wet. It's time to step out of that boat and take a risk for God and for the kingdom, whatever He is leading you to do. Let's pray. Father, when I think about all of us who are here this morning, some are actively involved in ministry already. Some may be hesitant, unsure of where to serve or what to do. Some feel like they maybe just need to be growing, and that's the first step that they need to take. But Lord, you know each of us. You love us. You have a plan for us. And regardless of where we are at in our journey, there are always those times when you are asking us to take the next step out of obedience and because of our love for you. So would you show us what it is that you want us to do and then guide us as we take those steps. Help us to follow your Holy Spirit, to listen to you and to be sensitive to your leading. And Father, I look forward to hearing the stories. Stories of praise and joy as we look back on what you did. We ask this in your name. Amen.